Well, uh, the news has probably preoccupied a lot of your time these days. And today, uh, there are some, if you would, echoes of the news in our passage. As we uh, think about it, we think about the plague it has troubled Israel uh, throughout uh, the series in the Judges, and that's the plague, if you would, of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the remnant of the people that were being driven out of the Promised Land as Israel was taking possession of it. And they coast of the Mediterranean, forming, if you would, five city-states, which are still there today. We're going to be told in our text that they had oppressed Israel for 40 years. And during that time, they held a military advantage over Israel because the Philistines had figured out how to smelt iron. And as such, they had longer and sharper swords than the Philistines. No small uh, advantage, especially when combat was hand to hand. It's into this environment that Samson comes. And Samson is the last judge before Eli and Samuel and their ministry that ushers in the monarchy. And the Philistine threat, threat will be dealt with, uh, hopefully finally, by David. But one thing I would point out to you that you might want to ponder as we go through the text and through the message. And that is that everything in this story of Samson takes place in the modern day Gaza Strip. A name that should be familiar to every one of you. Every event takes place there and Samson actually dies, if you would, in the city of Gaza. So today, 3,000 years later, there's the same actors in the same place. The Philistines find their present day, if you would, expression in the Palestinians. Hamas finds their present day expression in the Amalekites. I mean, uh, the Amalekites find their present day expression uh, in Hamas. And of course, the Jews are Jews. So that's sort of a little background coloring the situation. Now, I believe all of you have seen these two movies. Raise your hand if you've seen Ben-Hur and The Ten Commandments. All right, pretty good. Those movies uh, were produced and directed by Cecil B. DeMille. And uh, supposedly, he said to a young movie maker who was making movies to send a message, he said to that young movie maker, he said, if you want to send a message, send a telegram. If you want to entertain people, find a really good story, make it into a movie, and tell it. Obviously, he did that. In 1949, DeMille found a really good story, and he made it into a movie. In 1949, he made a movie starring R. Angela Lansbury. The title was Samson and Delilah. Now, the story is contained in three chapters of the book of Judges. And we're uh, not going to read those three chapters this morning. I was tempted to read all three chapters and then let's stand and sing. And uh, so there. And then um, maybe we could show the movie, but I think we're going to skip 
showing the movie. If they made that in the modern day version, it would be a strong R. <laughs> Maybe an X. All right, how many of you remember that story of Samson and Delilah from childhood? Echoes of it sort of rolling around in your brain. Maybe some of you have even read these three chapters on Samson in preparation as we move through the series in the book of Judges. Samson is mentioned 39 times in the book of Judges, and he's mentioned only once in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, at this point, if we were writing Hebrews and looking for heroes in the Hall of Fame of Faith, remembering a little bit about Samson's life, we, being the legalists that we are, would have probably said, hey, Samson belongs in the Hall of Shame, not in the Hall of Fame. We have good company there, because we'd be there with them. So, knowing what we know about Samson's life, the question we want to ask this morning and answer is, was he, if you would, a real superhero of the faith? He was a special man, born in a special way, at a special time, and given a special mission at his birth. And if he was that kind of a superhero, we want to ask ourselves, what kind of lessons does God want us to learn from Samson's life? So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistine for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites and <clears throat> had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now from his birth, we move on to the narrative of his death in chapter 16. After the Philistines had captured him, after Delilah had betrayed a secret, it says, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again, and after it, and after it had been shaved, that's interesting, <laughs> now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate saying our God has delivered Samson our enemy into our hands when in reality we're going to see that God has delivered the Philistine into Samson's hands so when the people saw him they praised God saying our God has delivered our enemy into our hands the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us, 
So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached out to the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against him, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would come to us by your spirit, that you would open it to our hearts, that you would illumine us, that we would see Christ, that we would understand your greatness and your power, and that we would, we would be drawn to that one who came to die for sinners. And so, Lord, as you've inspired this word, so inspire the words of this sermon that we too might rejoice in Christ our Savior. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So if you think back, what is it you recall most about Samson? What is it that stands out most of all? Well, I'll answer for myself. You can answer for yourself. What stands out most of all to me is his strength and his feats of strength. So let's quickly review them. We're told that when Samson was going down uh, to the town of Timnah to uh, seek out a wife that his eyes were fixed on and he desired, a young lion came out and confronted both he and his parents, and we're told that he slayed that young lion with his bare hands, just like you would kill a young goat. He, he literally tore it apart. Now, most of us are afraid of the junkyard dog, let alone a lion. And so, junkyard dog? Okay. I don't think there's any junkyards in your neighborhood. All right. Anyway, after that, we're told that he caught 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail, put torches on their tails, sent them into the wheat fields at harvest time, the vineyards and the orchards, and set them all afire. This is truly impressive. I, I was greatly impressed when I read this because a couple weeks ago, uh, I was trying to trap a skunk that had invaded our yard and leaving his uh, calling card in several places. And that, that took a, a professional trap. It took seven days of setting the trap. It took a, a can, if you would, of uh, rotten cat food. But finally, I got him. Far cry from 300 foxes. And then we're told that he killed a thousand Philistines who probably had iron swords and he did it with the jawbone of a donkey. 
No small feat. There's a joke there, but I'm going to skip it. He was uh, being uh, held overnight in the town of Gaza, and they were going to, uh, if you would, uh, arrest him and throw him in prison the next day. But he woke up before the city woke up. He tore the city gates out of the wall of Gaza and moved the city gates to a hill far away. Now, with this list, if you would, of crimes or offenses against the Philistines, Samson became public enemy number one. They hated him. And we know he was public enemy number one by the size of the reward that the five rulers of the five cities offered him, offered to Delilah to betray him. It was equivalent to millions and millions of dollars today, but they were going to give her that money if she was able to betray the secret of his strength. And so we go back to the beginning of the narrative on, silent, on Samson. And one thing we notice about him throughout the narrative, as different from all the other judges, he's never accompanied by an army. He never has a group from the clan of the Danites with him. He is always alone. He's by himself in all of these. Well, in reality, he wasn't alone. We're told five times in the book of Judges that the Spirit came upon Samson mightily. It came upon him and gave him strength. Unbelievable strength. Strength he didn't know he had. And we as Christians sometimes feel like we're alone. We're in the minority. Or even worse than in the minority, we're way down on the bottom. But the fact of the matter is we, we are never alone. Christ dwells in our heart by faith, and we can call on him and his power when we need it. And that's a question that should really provoke us to think a little bit. Do we need that kind of strength that Samson had? Do we need supernatural strength to slay a lion? Think about what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that's not a literal lion, but it's a lethal lion, and I suspect that lion's name might be Sinbad. <laughs> we, need, we need coffee, right? We need better jokes. Oh. Okay, so... The, the issue is, is that strength available to you and to me for life? We're told in the book of Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. We're told to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And the reality is, by way of application, that you and I should not hesitate in our lives to ask God the Holy Spirit to give us the strength that we need to live the Christian life and to meet the challenges that we face day in and day out. It's the third person of the Trinity to whom we can pray, who hears us and who answers us. And I believe perhaps it might be the most neglected aspect of prayer in many a Christian life. It should be a prayer that proceeds any scary situation we're about to enter, any challenge we're about to face, 
One that God is more than willing and more than happy to answer. So, given his strength, what was it that got Samson initially into trouble? So let's look at not his strength, but look, let's look at his sight. In chapter 14, we're told he went down to the town of Timnah, and in the town of Timnah there was a woman that caught his eye. I guess she was a good-looking lady, or whatever, and he decided that he just had to have her for a wife. This was what was the lust of his eyes. He was going to do what was right in his eyes. He dragged his parents down to Timnah to secure this woman for his wife, and all the time he was doing it, there was nothing right about it. He disregarded the counsel of his parents. He to the Nazarite, but he was going to do what was right in his own eyes. The same thing that had plagued Israel throughout, if you would, the history of the book of Judges. In other words, his impulses had taken over. They had taken over his decision-making, the lust of his eyes and the lust of the flesh. And nothing would hold him back. Our impulses do the same thing to us. In the supermarket, you go past that end cap at the aisle where the ice cream is. And in that freezer in the end of the aisle, 10 pints for $10. You pick your flavor. You can have any one you want. All the best flavors, Moose Tracks, Rocky, Rocky Road. You can have them. And you say, oh, what will it hurt? I'm a grown man. And you walk out of the store with maybe $5 worth of ice cream. Whatever it is, you were captured by your impulses. It happens to us frequently. A couple of weeks ago, I was checking out of my favorite store, and I noticed uh, there on the shelf a bag of caramel-coated sea salt popcorn. Now, I knew that would never pass inspection at the FDA office in our home. I said, what the heck, you're a grown man, go ahead, get it, guess what? It was confiscated when I went home, I can't believe it. Now in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 10, the Word of God says this, no temptation has befallen you except that which is common to, common to man, and along with it, God is faithful to provide a way out. And you know and I know so that uh, most often than not, that way out is not marked exit. It's simply the word no. And so by way of application, Samson is really showing us that we should always check our impulses. Our impulses most always come from the old man, come from that sinful nature within us. It's time to double check it every time we have those impulses. It's time to put on our gospel glasses so that our eyes are sound and our light, our eyes are, and our bodies are filled with light and to not really forget that. And when we do forget it, it almost always gets us in trouble. Amen? Not enough amens out there. You've got to be honest with yourself, you know, Driving down the road, a guy cuts you off. Your impulse is what? Ah, uh, well, hmm, you have to watch it. 
no matter where you are. And so Samson's sight was his problem. He was seeing things that his flesh desired, and he set his heart upon them, and he pursued them, if you would, much to his own detriment. So if trouble with the sight leads to problems like that, the next thing we need to look at to see what we learn from Samson is Samson's sin. Now, it was just what Israel was doing. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And just like it was for Israel, so it was for Samson, and so it is for us. Doing what is right in our own eyes almost always leads to trouble. I can speak for myself and verify that. You, if you speak to your own heart, you'll probably find the same answer. And so as we look at Samson's sin, we see that he'd broken every commandment that a Nazarite was supposed to obey. We went near dead bodies. He ate unclean food. He took honey from the inside of the carcass of the lion. He had had several forbidden loves, and he hadn't uh, obeyed hardly anything that he was supposed to obey. And it all ended poorly for him. He was betrayed. His hair was cut. He lost his strength. His eyes were gouged out. He was walking around in circles, crushing and threshing grain. He was brought out to be the court jester in front of the, Philippine, the Philistines. His disobedience had brought him huge temporal costs. And there he was. So what is our hero going to do at a time like this? His life was filled with disobedience and faithless failures. Now at the end, what will God's superhero do? I believe his final act is what got him in, if you would, to that hall of fame of faith. In verse 28 of chapter 16, he prays a prayer. And in that verse, he uses God's name in three forms. He uses Adonai, Elohim, and Yahweh. I would like to think that that's a Trinitarian prayer. Uh, Samson surely knew the Holy Spirit. I might get a sort of a check mark saying too far on Trinitarian, but nonetheless, Samson was praying to the living God to renew his strength. And he came, if you would, just as he was. He knew his sin. It had cost him everything. He was totally humiliated. Nothing left. And so he went to God, his Savior. And it's interesting if we would put anybody in the Hall of Fame of Faith from the New Testament, I think we'd probably put Paul in there. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
but I was saved for this reason, that I might be an example to others. And what I am saying to you this morning and what I'm saying to, saying to myself is the superhero needed a hero. If Samson, specially born for a special reason, specially gifted of the Spirit, if the Apostle Paul, who basically brought Christianity throughout the known world of the Mediterranean, needed a hero, if they needed a hero, how much more do you and I need a hero? We're not looking for the Hall of Fame of Faith. We're looking for the halls of heaven. And there's only one way to access the halls of heaven. For there's only one name given under heaven by which man may be saved. And that name, of course, is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so, if we would distinguish ourselves in the world of Christianity, we distinguish ourselves by exalting in our lives and in our hearts that one who is our hero, the one who saves to the uttermost, the one whose arm is not so short that it cannot save. And so if we would be numbered among those who would enter in to the halls of heaven, we would be like Samson. In the moment of our humiliation, in the moments of our helplessness, in our moments of no plea before the throne of God except Christ, if we would be there, we would call upon the Lord with all of our hearts that we might live and not die. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so reluctant to think of ourselves as humiliated and helpless, but we are. We are numbered among the sinners, every single one of us. Not one of us has a record that would commend us. Our record would only condemn us. But the Lord Jesus would take care of that. He would pay for all of our sins, defeat and destroy all of our enemies, and then welcome us into his kingdom. So let us learn from Samson that we have a superhero, one who is greater than all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We ask it in his name. Amen.